0: Let's pray. Father God, we just come to continue to worship you. We come to worship you as we get into your word together to see how you have revealed yourself specifically in your inerrant infallible word of God. Lord, we just thank you for this chance we have to come and to worship you through, through singing, through reading of your word, through giving of tithes and offerings. Oh Lord, it is good to be together. So, Lord, we continue to praise and to worship you. And, God, I just pray that you are indeed glorified. And, Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would help me to preach this sermon with what is needed, to use this sermon to bring glory to your name and joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. We're finishing off in Habakkuk Habakkuk chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them. As we continue to worship God, in Habakkuk chapter 3 we see this as, as this closes, this dialogue between God and, and Habakkuk, he ends it with a prayer, so follow along with me. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet according to Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the reports of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, God came from Temin, and the Holy One from the Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light Rays flashed from his hand, and there he, re- he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers of or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horse, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and wreathed and raging waters swept on, swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hand on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, then surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruits be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with string instruments. This is the word of the Lord. It's a pretty powerful prayer that Habakkuk prays here. But as I was reflecting upon that this week, I was thinking of roller coasters. I don't know what. Think about it, though. I remember uh, a few years ago, my parents in a crazy way allowed me to drive my minivan with a bunch of my friends down to Darien Lake. Yeah, we crossed the border. I would never let my 17-year-old child do that. So I'm surprised my parents would. But we went to Darien Lake, To uh, there's a bunch of concerts down there, and we went down there and there's this roller coaster, I believe it's still called, this, called the Superman, and it's kind of like the Leviathan, yeah, I know, right? It's kind of like the Leviathan at Canada's Wonderland where it goes straight up and then it goes, but if you're in the front, as you're going up this roller coaster, uh, you hit the top, the peak of this climb, you don't see where you're going because the incline is so great. The angle is so great. And you're sitting there, and that kind of makes it part of the rush of the roller coaster, doesn't it? You have no idea what's about to happen, but you're like, this is going to be the time of my life. This is great. No, some people are like, no, that's not happening. But I think there was a time, there was a time where I enjoyed roller coasters. Uh, I find that I get motion sickness now, but um, I, don't, I don't know why. <laughs> old age that reminds me of a time i spent in a prayer meeting last week where i got roasted on that one um (laughs) but remember i remember going to uh this and you're going down your but for some reason you're not that afraid but you're the unknown is kind of what makes it that joy you know that pit feeling that you get when you're about to drop you're just like i don't know what's going to happen this is going to be great and you scream, right? I remember even in Florida a few months ago, we have a picture of Caleb. We wanted this one called the Slinky Dog, right? And there's a picture of all of the kids uh, on this roller coaster. And there's Caleb. Caleb, I just like his face. He's just got this face of, like, awesomeness. <laughs> he's just like, this is the best thing ever, right? He's just in his element. He's loving it. But we often just use roller coasters to describe life, don't we? Lots of ups, lots of downs, and lots of unknowns. And unlike the roller coaster that's a lot of fun, the roller coaster of life is not always fun. Actually, I would probably say most of the time it's not, but that's why we call it a roller coaster. Some people are thinking of throwing up just talking about it. In, in life, there goes, we, we have these times where we call the roller coaster, and you just don't know what's going to happen. I remember a few years ago, uh, I was an associate pastor in the church before we came here that was going through financial problems. We were cutting, 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 and I remember going, I'm starting to get worried. I'm the associate. We know what the picking is right i got a young family i got 3 kids what in the world is going on i have no idea that was a roller coaster and we can all think of stories in our lives where we can call roller coasters of our lives where we're entering into a situation an event in our lives and we have no idea what the outcome is going to be so the question that comes up as i reflect upon this is this is how can we face the fear of the unknown because that is the question that Habakkuk begins to come out here: Is How can I face the fear of the unknown? What is about to come? Because we remember as we walk through Habakkuk 1 and Habakkuk 2, God gives him answers and Habakkuk doesn't like any of them. And God essentially says, live by faith. Which still means that there's an unknown. So how can we live How can we face the fear of the unknown? You know, the psalmist gives us a hint of this in Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. He says this, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoice. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the previous two chapters we saw that Habakkuk had those two complaints that we were talking about and God's corresponding respo- responses. You know in this chapter though this chapter reveals a heart that is being and has been transformed. Something changes within Habakkuk, between chapters 1 and chapters 3, that allow him to say and to close this in verses 17 and 18, which are probably one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. There's a lot, really, but these are one of them. Because as we look forward in these first few verses, we see that Habakkuk's prayer of praise and petition and recollection and thanksgiving has much to teach us about how we should pray. Which is interesting, because this is a prayer, right? It is a song, as you you see that, right? You see that in verse one, uh, this is according to. Sorry, it's to be sung according to a certain way that we don't really know what that means, but it's to be sung. And then you see the reference to the string instruments at the end. It is a song, but it's a prayer. And it teaches us a lot about prayer. Because I think some of us come to God in prayer. I know I'm guilty of this a lot, is using God as a cash machine or a slot machine. We pray, therefore we get something back in return. But that's not what Habakkuk is doing here. And he has a lot to teach us. So in verses 1 to 15, we see that God is coming in verse two you see a petition oh lord i have heard the reports of you and of your works oh lord do i fear i've heard the reports as habakkuk waits for god it is it is a reward it is with a reminder of god's mighty deeds that he's done in the past if you remember your sunday school times as you're reading through this a lot of this is already coming to mind because it's all reflecting back to the exodus It's all reflecting back to God calling a people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And you begin to see references that are happening throughout here. Habakkuk is reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. God is coming. Your works, O Lord, do I fear. I'm in awe of God's saving acts. It's this awe that is foundation to what is asked later. He is recognizing the whole and righteous purposes of God. And he he asks God, he says, revive it. Remember, I remember the reports. I remember your works. Revive it. Do it again, God. Do it again. God, may you be as present and active at this moment as you were in the day of Moses. That's a bold prayer. It's a prayer that I've been reminded of that I need to pray. God, may you do things that are greater than I could ever attribute to myself. God, you can, because I see it. I believe it. I know it. God, will you do something great again? Will you revive it? In the midst of years, make it known. May your will be done. Habakkuk is recognizing God's unsearchable plans and is trusting and putting confidence with reverence and awe, knowing that God is a consuming fire. And as he comes, he says, In wrath, Lord, remember your mercy. As you act to save your people, be merciful. This is a classic statement of how God deals with his people. God, may your judgment be tempered by mercy. It is interesting in this because it doesn't say that God is not wrathful, but remember his mercy. I think sometimes we struggle with the characteristics of God, but one attribute of God does not come at the expense of another. God is love, yes. The the cross is the best picture of this but clearly the cross also shows that he is a god of wrath god be merciful in your wrath and as he continues on in verses three to seven there's a coming from the self this prayer is showing a a theophany A a magnificent picture of the power of God and what he is doing. It it is a self-manifestation of God. A lot of the imagery that is coming out here is the same things that happened as God brought his people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, as he he brought them into the wilderness, as they crossed the, 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 the Red Sea, as he brought them through all of those years. This is the imagery that Habakkuk is bringing back. Verse 3, from the, from the Teman, from the south, remember how God has brought them out of Egypt. In verse 5, before him went pestilence and plague, following, followed at his heels. You remember the, ten, the, the, the plagues? There's a whole movie about that one, right? You see what God did to deliver his people? You think anything's going to stand in his way? You think anything is going to stand in the way of God's plan of salvation? When you look at someone and you say, oh man, I think they're too far gone, you think they're ever too far gone for God? No. The answer is always no. Because look at what God has done for his people God brought pestilence, he brought plague. And in verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and and shook the nations. Nothing is standing in his way of what he is about to do. The eternal mountains, the mountains that are this imagery of, they will stand and they're sure they melt in the presence of God. Nothing stands in the way of God doing his work of salvation. Remember, God, what you have done. Remind me of what you've done. The everlasting hills, it says in verse 6, sink low. His ways, His were the everlasting ways, it says. The eternal mountains, they scattered, but God's ways are eternal. And Cushan and and Midian, these nations that stood in the way of God's journey of bringing his people, that didn't even stop stop God doing things either. You see what's happening in Habakkuk's prayer? Habakkuk is remembering what God has done. He knows that this is what happened because he has a historic fact. God did these things. God promised that he would do these things and he did these things. In our time of prayer on Wednesdays, we always start there. We get to the word of God. God, how have you revealed yourself? Now, what does that mean for me and my response to what God has done? But now I know that I can pray to the God who delivered his people out of Egypt. I'm not praying to some deity that we talked about last week not something that's carved out of wood and stone. I'm talking to the living God who created the mountains, who caused them to melt and made straight the crooked path. Nothing stands in the way. See, God is coming, and everything else is shown to be powerless in comparison to him as he comes to save. Nothing will keep people. Nothing will keep God from doing what he said he will do. Nothing will get in his way of saving his people. No one is outside of God's grace. No one is too far. Nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing. That's why we're called to rely and rely upon him alone and anything else is idolatry and sin. Because he's the only one. God can save anyone. God can do anything. And God's saving wrath comes through in verses eight and following. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, as he, as as Egypt crossed the Red Sea, as God uh, split the Red Sea and and made dry land as as Egypt or as Israel crossed it on dry land into freedom, escaping the the hand of of Egypt? And God, what does He do as Egypt's going in there? He brings the waters back. Was your wrath against the rivers, O oh Lord, God's saving wrath. When you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation, God bringing salvation, you stripped the sheath from your is calling for many arrows like lightning. You split the earth with rivers. You, you control creation. The mountains saw you, and they they, 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 they shook. And in verse eleven, the sun and the moon stood still in their place. Remember Joshua's victory over Gebet, uh, Jabeth? You remember that how it was just amazing because as Moses held his as Moses was there, the sun. Stood still, allowing for more time for Israel to win the battle. Nothing will get in the way. God isn't some innate powerless being. He is the sovereign Lord who brought his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Just as God, the Holy One, had powerful had powerfully been with Israel in their journey. Through the region in the Exodus. So now again, he similarly comes to his people as Habakkuk prayers this and he's reminding himself. In verses 12 to 13, we see that the Lord of, of nature, he is Lord of nature. He also has absolute power over, over the forces of history. He comes to deliver his people and judge the wicked. In verse 13, you went out for your salvation of your people, for the salvation of, of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And Habakkuk continues to go to the past. God had gone out from his sanctuary to save his people. And again, Habakkuk says, "Do it again. Do it again." See God fights for his people. As I as I read this over as I'm reminded of what God has done in Exodus, so often we feel like we're going through life on our own as we face the unknown, but that's not the case. God over and over and over again reminds us of who he is and what he has done that he has walked with us. He doesn't promise that life will be easy. He promises life will be hard. The Christian will suffer. It's not an if; it's a when. So there's a lot of prayers in the Bible that start with God's faithfulness and shows steadfast hope in God's promises for the future. Because God's past faithfulness, we have a fu- we have future promises. Because of God's past faithfulness and the future promises, we can pray with faith in the presence without losing heart. It's why we have to be in the Word of God every day. Life is hard. It is unknown. How can we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ? We need to be here. Every day is why we gather together on the Sundays. We come beat up, broken, bruised, weeks of all sorts of messes, and we come together, we open God's Word, and we come face to face with the reality of who He is, and we go, oh God, you hear me? Let me remind you of who God is. See, so where do you see God at work in your own life? Well, think back. Where have you seen God at work in your life? I remember back to the story about the, the uh, unknown of my, 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 my uh, position at the church. This is why we journal. See, I can go back and I can look at these prayers because I just write out my prayers. And they say, oh man, that was a tough time. Oh, but God, you were faithful. You were so good. You were with me during this time. See, the amazing part of this is that this story isn't the climax of God's story. The Messiah did come. God truly did, in wrath, remember his mercy. At the cross of Christ, God's wrath was poured out on his own Son so that we who trust in Christ might be washed clean in an astounding act of mercy. The gospel is centered to everything. When you start messing with that, you don't have a foot to stand on. Christ died for your sins and he rose again. And just like how Habakkuk reflects on what God has done and how he has remained faithful, how God has remained faithful, he can face his fear with faith and trust in the God of all history. So that we move on to his his amazing dialogue in verses 16 to 19, that trusting God for what is coming. We need, to, we need to be active in trusting God for what is coming. In verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. Go back to verse 2. It tells you why his body is trembling. Because there's a reality here and i've said this before our faith is not a blind faith it is not there's no blind faith in christianity we look to what god has done his faithfulness and god says he will do it and he's proven over and over again that he will do it so i trust him for what he says he will do because he's already done what he has said he will do But he sees this and he he reflects upon the works of, of what God has done and how God has done it, and he begins to tremble. Because a lot of stuff is happening here. What he is hearing causes a physical effect on him. God has answered his painful question and will hear his prayers. And the outcome of this is that, yet I will quietly wait even though uh, uh, my, my legs are weak below me, even though I don't know how I'm going to face the future, even though I have all of these unknowns, yet, Lord, I will quietly wait. In verse 17, though the fig tree should blo- not blossom, nor the fruits beyond the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields Yield no food, the flock be cut off from the folds, and there be no herd in the stalls. Even when the crops fail, even when you lose your job, even when you lose your retirement, even when you can't even, only younger people will get that. even when you can't go on any longer. Sus- You've got to understand, this is a horrific thoughts in the context of this culture. This is an ag- agricultural economy. If, if all of this fell apart, it would be like it would be worse than the Great Depression. You've you got to understand that. Like this is bad. And and Habakkuk comes even though all of these things will happen. The society lives with hunger and poverty. Habakkuk's trusting expectation will not be crushed. Hope and trust transform his fear of the future into the desire to rejoice always in God his Savior. Think about Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says this, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you understand how much he loves you? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a mic drop. I don't have a mic to drop. It's the foundation, what Christ has done for us. There's a radical transformation that is happening in here with Habakkuk. Habakkuk started his conversation with God telling him how to run the world. Can you imagine how idiotic that is. Hey God, I don't I don't I, those are awful answers. And you know, you should listen to me. But by the end he turns to trusting that God knows best and will bring about justice. Do you understand that nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? For you, Christian, you have an eternal source of joy that can never go away. I didn't say happiness. I said joy. There's a big difference. I, shall, I should always be able to come and to praise God through tears, through weak knees, through, through the tremble body trembles and the, and the lips quivering. I should always be able to praise God because of who I am in Christ. That is who I am as a Christian. Christ has died for my sins and he rose again. I believe that. I repent of my sin and I rest in that. I always have hope. So as I face the unknown of the future, it doesn't matter. Because it fades. Because of God's glory, it becomes even greater. That's why he continues on. I will take joy in the God of God of my salvation. I said this last week, I'll say it again. Your joy is not based upon anything else than what Christ has done for you. If it is, it shows. See, one of three things happens when there's no joy in a Christian's life. You know, sometimes people come and say, "I, I, I just lack so much joy. And sometimes I think it's like from... The Prince's Bride movie where the guy's sword guy is saying, I think you're using that word... Uh, what was it? Inconceivable. Inconce- oh, yeah, the inconceivable one. I think you don't understand how you're using that word or something along those lines. Joy is a word that is rooted in what Christ has done for us. If you don't feel joy anymore... The follow-up question should be, is what is your joy anchored in? Maybe you're just using the word wrongly. I don't know. But you may have forgotten the gospel. Maybe you don't even remember it, or maybe you never knew it. And that's why we come every week, and I get the blessing to remind you of the gospel. Because I'm reminding myself, too, as I preach this. See, God has become Habakkuk's strength. Psalm 18, verse 32 says, The God who equipped me with strength and made me w- my way blameless. In verse 39 of the same chapter, "You, For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. As I think about God's faithfulness to his people in the past, it really brings my mind to remember all the great and mighty things that God has done to his people, for his people throughout history. All of these deliverances and provisions point to the greatest deed in history, that Christ came. Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what God promises here. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amens to God for His glory. 2 Corinthians 1. It's through Jesus' life and death and resurrection that he delivers us from sins, of, from sin's bondage. Jesus brings us safely through death to life. And it's through this that our, alt, our greatest enemies are defeated. Our greatest enemies is not our bank accounts or the people making fun of us down the street. Our greatest enemy is Satan, sin, and death. And Jesus conquered all of those at the cross. And at the end of history, Jesus will establish us in the promise of eternity with Him. How do I know that? Because of what Habakkuk prays. Habakkuk can only do what he says in verse 16 and 18 because. He is looking to God who is the God of my salvation. When life crumbles all around, like in verse 17, we do not need to be in despair. God has not abandoned his purposes. He remains with us, even in the trials and the struggles. Jesus Christ has brought us to himself. We are restored to God. Hell cannot touch us. For we say, God, the Lord, is my strength. We will rejoice in God, who is my strength. So the question still is there. The so what? How can we face the hard times that are coming? How can we face the hard times that we find ourselves in right now, individually, as a church, Is found in this answer, those who fear God will gain true joy that lasts forever because it's rooted in the God who has delivered us. I can only face the unknown by being anchored to the one who can be known. That God keeps his promises, that he has saved me by his his grace. See, back to the roller coaster, one of the things that kind of makes it Uh, counters that fear is the fact that you're strapped into a car which is strapped down onto the rails. The likelihood of going anywhere is like none, okay? Some people disagree, but it's true. You just watch too much YouTube videos. See, what counters that fear that you're going to die is that little car that is that's swinging around, that is anchored to the, to, to, the, to, the, to the rails. The only way we will be able to overcome the fear of the unknown is to make sure that we are anchored to the one who can be known. If you're wondering if you're, why you're flipping around in the wind like a storm-tossed ship, I would ask you this, what are you anchored to? Habakkuk sees that living for God does not automatically bring immediate prosperity. God may not provide the basic needs of the flock of the sheep, allow the field to come to harvest, or calm the fears of a prophet who sees danger on the horizon, but he is still good. In faith, Habakkuk has learned to say with his whole heart, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Even when trouble and persecution come his way. See, Habakkuk's fear is real. This isn't some little teeny little fear. He he's fearful. He understands that this is not a good time. And his desire for answer is understandable, but he serves the God of the covenant, the promise who always does what is good, even in showing his wrath against sin. Habakkuk remembers this, for he knows that God is in control of all things, even the nations. So instead of finding joy in himself or in the safety of Israel, Habakkuk roots his joy in the Lord. God draws us to a new life and salvation. He is our strength and makes our feet like the deer. We can face the fear of the unknown by knowing the one who gives true joy that lasts forever because that is rooted in Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. There's a, so the question is, is this, who are you fearing today? There's this great song I've been listening to. I listened to it to this, this morning. And it says this, it's called He is Worthy. The first stanza says this, Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? It's a great song. As we face the unknown, let us say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom, Nor fruits be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Remind us in times of the unknown, Lord, of the things that you have done, not only in the Bible, but how you've done things in our own life. You are so good. Forgive us when we doubt your goodness. Forgive us when we forget what you've done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. But by your Spirit, Lord, strengthen us in in what you have done. Strengthen us in the cross, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And amen.